Um, Doa and Laura are being baptised and uh, Amy and Sandra are reaffirming their baptismal vows and Anna is confirming the baptism uh, that her parents uh, had for her when she was a little girl. Uh, and so we're, we're thinking about this subject today because it's the next part of the series. And, and, and actually baptism and, and the affirmation of faith and, and, uh, and commitment are, are a cause for celebration. So maybe the subject seems like a bit of a downer. Uh, This is a tough topic, isn't it? Dealing with disappointment and dealing with unanswered prayer and the whole struggle of what it looks like to be a Christian. Let me just read these verses from Matthew's Gospel. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So a moment of triumph, celebration, declaration. The moment where Jesus steps up. No longer Jesus of Nazareth, but from now on the Son of Man. Stepping into the the murky waters, uh, filthy with the sins of the people that had gone in before. Immersing himself symbolically, as it were, in humankind with all its sinfulness. And coming up the Son of Man, the new Adam. Immediately going and resisting the temptations of the devil in the wilderness where the first Adam and Eve had failed to do so. And so Jesus being a new Adam, Jesus being a new, uh, Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua, which is just a, a form of Joshua. It was Joshua that led the people of Israel into the promised land. And as he did so, the waters of the Jordan parted to let them through, just as they had parted the waters of the Red Sea, famously parted as the Israelites came out of Egypt. And so a parting of water. But Jesus went down into the water of the river Jordan and left the promised land to go into the wilderness for 40 days just as the people of Israel had spent 40 years in the wilderness and then he came back in. And so dying and rising again, entering into sinfulness that we might be washed clean. It was a moment rich with with meaning and a moment of great celebration Fast forward three years and Mark records this prayer that Pete and Johnny were talking about in that video clip at the end. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed, that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so from a moment of great triumph and excitement and expectation, the promise of of a new beginning and a fresh start and a rescue for the people, to this very human moment, but also this deeply submissive moment where Jesus is facing 
what he knows is in front of him. And you can't have the one, it seems, without the other. We're going to look just two other passages which will go up on the screen. Not the whole passage because they're too, uh, too long, but I just, there's a bit of a theme here. So this is from Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. So the context here is that the, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, has ascended to heaven, risen from the, from, the, from the dead after his crucifixion, ascended into heaven, and then at, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, and the church began to be planted uh, and to grow and be empowered. And so this is part of the context of this burgeoning life, this church that is growing and there's signs and there's wonders and there's exciting things happening and people becoming believers in Jesus. And yet there's this backdrop of persecution then that, 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 that falls. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And the story goes on to describe how the doors of the prison opened and he was free to walk in the streets and and he went to a house where the church was gathering and they didn't believe, despite their prayers, that he was actually there at the door. So finally, from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, these words of Paul. So we've got Jesus' experience, we've got Peter's experience, we've got Paul's experience. This is from 2 Corinthians 12, 1 to 10, where he says, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I will refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, 
I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I always, when I think about that story of Peter's arrest and imprisonment, and we focus on the triumph and the excitement, the drama of it, it's a great story, it's a great one to act out. You know, Peter's arrested and he's in prison and then at night this angel appears and the chains fall off his wrists. You know, we sing about it, my chains fell off. And he walks free from the prison and he goes to the house where the church is meeting and all is well. But what, I think it was years before I really noticed or took seriously the fact that before we get to Peter's story, It says, and it's just a one-liner. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. James, the brother of John, one of the three, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John, who were there in Gethsemane when Jesus was praying. Peter, James, and John, who were the privileged three to be up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, who were the only ones to be taken in to the raising of Jairus' daughter. James was one of the inner circle. And I'm pretty sure that when they seized James, they didn't just kill him on the spot. I'm pretty sure that when Herod gave orders and had some arrested, and he had James arrested at the same time. And so what do you think the church did as soon as they knew that James was arrested? What do you think they did? They prayed, right? They prayed. It wasn't like they thought when James died, oh, we should have prayed, we better pray the next time. When some of their number were arrested, they prayed. It's what you do. Sometimes it's the only time we pray, right? When we're in crisis or when someone that we care about or love has been taken from us or in emergencies we didn't see coming hits us and we pray. And maybe those prayers are the most simple, basic, honest prayers we've ever prayed along the lines of help, You know, sometimes our most honest prayers have very few words. And so in this story of Peter's imprisonment and release, we find those two ends of the story again. The triumph of Jesus' baptism and all the the excitement and the drama. And Jesus facing a cross and saying, Father, take this cup away from me. We find... The excitement that we focus on in a story of Peter's spectacular release. But it comes on the back of James, one of the three closest intimate friends of Jesus, being dispatched like that in a one-liner. He gets one verse, and that's the end of James. And they prayed for him. And God, it seems, did not answer their prayer for James or the others that were arrested. Certainly not in the way that they hoped for. Because that's the reality of our journey in Jesus, right? So that when Paul writes to the Corinthians and talks about this man himself, who 14 years ago had this incredible spiritual experience where he was somehow taken up to heaven, saw things, heard things which he couldn't repeat. They were so holy and precious and special and other 
And he'd had this incredible encounter with God and this revelation of heaven that I'm sure sustained him through the beatings and the shipwrecks and, and the hunger and the deprivation and the sleepless nights and all the things that he, he writes of elsewhere to the Corinthians. He had this incredible revelation that no one could take away from him. Tucked away in his heart that he knew was absolutely true. In the same way that Jesus carried that profound sense of a voice saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So that he could pray, Abba, Father, and mean those words. And yet Paul, for all he had had this incredible experience and encounter, and was utterly sold out and committed Nonetheless, Paul famously writes of this thorn in the flesh. Wouldn't we love to know how many lakes of ink have been spilled trying to work out what that might have been? Was it some physical disability? We know that his eyesight was was pretty poor. Or or was it the temptation to to pride and vanity and conceit that he writes of here? We know he was a a single man. He writes of that in chapter 7 to the Corinthians in the first letter to the Corinthians. Was it sexual temptation? We just don't know what this thorn in the flesh was that made Peter's life difficult. And he pleaded with God to take it away. So it was something that was presumably quite debilitating if he pleaded three times for God to take it away. And yet the answer was an answer... Not of silence, but a charge to let the weakness and the challenge and the cross and the cup and the death and the unanswered prayer be that which kept him walking closely with the Lord and keep his eyes fixed where they belonged. And so we have this question of unanswered prayer and shortly I'm going to invite these uh, five women up who are going to take a stand for Jesus today in one way or another. And so it's a, a moment and a cause for celebration but it's also a moment of reality because taking your stand for Jesus for the first time or again in any way is a A joy and a triumph and a celebration and a declaration of the power of the cross and of resurrection. And it's also a recognition that we surrender our lives to the one who knows the way he takes. And to the one who will do and can do spectacular things in and through his people. And yet our journey will contain unanswered questions, unanswered prayers, Thorns that don't seem to get any easier or unforeseen losses or disappointments that we never thought would be ours. And their journey, as all of your journey who profess Jesus, is of necessity marked with these things. Because if Jesus carried the knowledge of being the Son of God, dearly loved, And yet faced a cup and a cross. And if Peter, as Jesus' closest disciple arguably, sustained the unanswered prayer and the loss of one of his two pals in the faith, despite 
having the privilege of being the one on whom the church would be planted. And if Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, who's responsible for a sizable chunk of the New Testament, whose legacy is enormous, whose testimony and the power of whose ministry continues to live on, had thorns in his flesh that were meant to keep him relying on Jesus, then we're in good company. We're in good company who profess Jesus as our Saviour and Lord and we can expect to know the relationship and to live in the relationship of those who are entitled to say, Abba, Father, and know that we are loved. Whatever happens and whatever it might look like, we are loved. And to know that the God to whom we belong is the Almighty, before whom everything is possible. Everything is possible. And so God's power is not limited, even though his ways are mysterious. And we have the privilege of bringing honestly our help cries, which for Jesus were phrased And take this cup from me. For Paul, take this thorn from me. For the church and for Peter, take the soldiers from James. And we have the responsibility and the calling with all of these illustrious heroes and founders of our faith. To stand with them and say, yet not what I will, but what you will. It's the voice of surrender. It's the voice that says, okay, I don't know what it may look like, but I trust your love. I trust your power. I trust your victory enough to stand and say, I do. Let's pray together. Father, we praise and bless you for the courage that you give to us through seasons of disappointment and adversity in the challenge of our walk. Lord, you've called us to incredible joy, to incredible salvation, to a love that nothing and no one can surpass. You've called us to a security that goes beyond anything this world could offer. You've called us to a belonging that is more powerful in keeping and holding us. You've called us to call you Abba Father and to know that we are daughters and sons of the living God. And so we thank you for the safety and security that is ours in you. And we recognise that in saying yes, in saying I do, in saying to you, take my life and make it yours, then Lord, there will be struggles as well as joys, challenges that will cause our faith to grow if we will let it. And so, Lord, would you teach us in amongst the unanswered questions and the apparently unheard prayers and the frustrations and the challenges of our lives to persevere, to believe in your love and to know, Lord, 
that you will hold on to and keep everyone who puts their faith in you and commits themselves to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to invite Sandra and Amy and Doa and Laura and Anna to come and sit at this table around the front just for the simple reason that they are near at hand when I'm